0: The Fox Valley, and finally in Stevens Point, and as well as all those still at home and those who watch us all over the world on the internet. Let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit. the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us this Sunday morning. Winter is knocking at the door. I've got my snowmobiles already up north. Batteries charged, ready to go. And then it snows in the south. So I don't know what is going on, but uh, I'm sure... It'll be really depressing if it doesn't snow up there this year. I'll tell you that after all this. Uh, but why not? It's 2020. Uh, uh, good things are happening. Uh, we announced here. I don't know about the other campuses, but about the uh, man camp that is coming up. I'm kind of excited. I've never been to man camp uh, because it's always in, I think, the first week of February. It's usually the busiest time of the year for me. Uh, all my events have canceled. I still theoretically have some in February, but we'll see by the time we get there. Maybe I'll actually get to it. Uh, although I'm really more of a girly man camp kind of guy, you know? <laughs> Perhaps we could do that, you know, fly to the Caribbean, you know, drink fruity drinks on the beach, you know? So I start my own girly man camp. See, you know, I mean, I get to go to that. Anyway. Uh, let's pause for a minute to take our offering this is done electronically online today although those of you who want to give in person cash or check or whatever can do it on the way out at the various campuses there'll be somebody standing there with buckets you can do that Uh, many take the time to mail in their gifts people have been very faithful during this time and I so appreciate it Uh, God bless you for what you do those of you who do it electronically should have the uh, system down by now but uh, for those who are new to it, uh, you can go to our website celebrationchurch.tv and give that way. Uh, there's buttons and stuff you can hit there, or you can text at uh, uh, not seven seven nine seven seven. That's the number you send the text to seven seven nine seven seven, and then put in the message part ccwi and the amount you'd like to give. So if you just take your phone out and do that. The other way too is on the phone. There are is the Celebration Church app. Actually, I really encourage everybody to download it. If you haven't done it, do it right now. Uh, Just download the app onto your phone because as winter kicks in, this is the best way to find out whether or not we are having church or if it's being delayed or whatever because you'll get an immediate message through the app. And that way you won't have to sit there and stare at some uh, TV screen for 20 minutes while they're going through the list. (laughs) Waiting to see if our name pops up. So uh, anyway, encourage you to do that. Also... Um, remind you of our special legacy offering. This is a special offering we do every year, above and beyond. We do it at Christmas time. It's kind of like a Christmas gift to the kingdom of God. And uh, I want to encourage you to do that. You know, uh, my first Sunday in Advent, I preached what I consider the creepiest Christmas message ever, talking about really the end of the world. And, you know, one of the reasons that some Christians listen to that and get so disturbed when you talk about It's because in their heart of their hearts, you know they haven't done it. They know they haven't done anything. They haven't done anything, and they think, Oh, this might end. And then they kind of panic and freak. Uh, don't live like that. Jesus said, be ready. The whole attitude should always be ready. We're supposed to sow into the kingdom of God. And this is a great time of the year to say, you know, I'm going to put the kingdom of God first above and beyond my normal giving. I'm going to do something special. Uh, and uh, just our goal it's not actually a financial number, it's a participation number. Um, we, our goal is 100% participation. Uh, so far, we're at 15%. Fear not, let not your heart be troubled. That's where we were last year at this time, which means we all wait to the last possible second. Uh, the good news is last year, we hit pretty much 100% participation. So we've got a couple of weeks yet, but uh, think about it, consider it, and do something special. Uh, you can do it online, you can do it on the app, you'll see the legacy thing, you can scroll through that or whatever. Or I think at our campuses, we have cards in the back of the seats, whatever. There's envelopes. And then you can put that in the buckets on the way out. Uh, and talk it over with your spouse, you know, let's do something, what can we do? Uh, and, uh, and then you don't have to buy Uncle Fred an extra tie or something, you know, whatever. But uh, to put something first in the kingdom of God. okay. Enough rambling about all of that. We're glad Stevens Point is alive and running today, right? Give them a cheer! (laughs) They have had some COVID issues, and uh, but this seems to have passed. Thank the Lord. Uh, And then here um, next week we're gonna start. We're gonna be setting up. We can put like a 200 more chairs in this place. So there's gonna be extra chairs because more and more people are coming back, and we still want to give space for people to separate and stuff. Eventually. Hopefully, you know, more and more people come. We'll go back to two services. Uh, but so anyway, so next week when you come in, you'll see a lot more chairs all over the place. Uh, is a Jesus something special? No, it's just me. But we're giving room to stay away from people if you want to still do some of the distancing things. All right, let's look at today's message. Did I hit everything? Did I, okay. I don't know. I got two women bossing me around all the time. so. <laughs> One wasn't enough. All right. Uh, Luke, the fourth chapter, on this third Sunday of Advent, uh, Jesus, we're going to be reading about him. It says in verse 16, when he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. So this is where he was raised. He was born in Bethlehem. Then they scurried off to Egypt to hide from Herod. He was a psycho trying to kill all these children. Uh, And then after he was dead, that Herod, it gets a little confusing because you keep reading about Herod. There were lots of Herods. One would kick off. The next Herod would show up. That one would kick off. And sometimes the other Herod was killing the previous Herod. It was, you're talking about family issues. All right. So anyway, this particular Herod dies and then he comes back to Nazareth. And that's where he grows up. And he's living with people because now he's like 30 years old. Uh, and as most people in small towns know, everybody knows everybody, right? Right. Uh, and uh, they all knew who he was. And so anyway, he comes back there and he went to the synagogue. Well, they'd been hearing stories about what Jesus was doing at this point. I think, like, wow. So he comes to the synagogue on the Sabbath day as was his custom. And then like we had the reading and stuff this morning. So it was his opportunity to, to read. And he got up, he, he took the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he unscrolled the scroll and he found the place where it was written. Now he starts to quote uh, from Isaiah and, uh, and reads these words, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to let the oppressed go free. Now, this, this is from the prophet Isaiah that he had written 700 years, over 700 years prior to this moment. Is this when Isaiah is prophesying about the Messiah that's coming. And oftentimes, you know, these people would take the idea of a Messiah delivering them because they were under the oppression of other countries, all and stuff. So that was kind of their focus. They kind of missed the whole point of why the Messiah was to come. But Isaiah takes this moment. He starts to explain why he comes, why he is sent. We're looking forward. We're celebrating the advent, the coming of Jesus the first time. And they, uh, Here, Jesus explains why he is sent in the first place. So let's back up and look at this again. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Now, you know what is really good news to the poor? You don't have to be poor anymore. (laughs) This is good news, all right? God wants to bless your life. Now, this doesn't mean you're going to be drunk rich here, okay? That's not what it's about. This is about having more than you need, more than enough. Somebody say amen. Amen. Where you're just blessed. Jesus said, listen, guys, quit panicking about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear. He says, you know, your heavenly father knows you have these things. And the pagans all run after them. You know, I always call Black Friday the running of the pagans. You know, everybody goes running crazy for the stuff. He says, don't be obsessed by this stuff. God knows you have it. And he will take care of you. If you'll put first his kingdom, not last when you can't think about anything else, but you prioritize the kingdom of God. If you honor God, God will honor you. The good news is God will meet your needs. And it's not just money. It's all kinds of needs, people. Emotionally, psychological needs, mental needs, whatever. Um, God will make up for you. And there's a lot of people, they, they all their lives, you know, this might be your family. You know, a lot of people say, man, we grew up poor, but man, we were rich. Why? right. Cause we had everything we needed. It was good. And we loved each other. And People were healthy and, you know, there's so many ways. Well, you understand, Jesus says, I came to proclaim good news to the poor. What does that mean? You don't got to be that way. Praise the Lord. All right. Then he says, he's come to uh, proclaim release to the captives. And again, the same thing, good news to captives, is you don't have to be captive anymore. We are, as Christians, also continue to do these very same things. Because what Jesus did, he now has told us to do. To proclaim the gospel, the good news. What's the good news? Is you don't have to be knocked down. You don't have to be poor in that sense. And you don't have to be a captive anymore. Now this one gets a little uh, tricky because the thing with captives, a lot of times people get very comfortable being captive. Do you know there are people who are in prison who like being in prison? And then when they get released, they don't want to be released. But they have to be released. And the first thing they do is break the law just so they can go back. <laughs> now, that's not me. I'm just telling you. But it's people, this, at some point, you do it so long, it becomes familiar to you. And it gets comfortable to you. And you would think when you could come to a captive, hey, you're free. Everybody would go, woohoo, and just immediately be free. But that's often not the case. Now, the other day, I was watching uh, some World War II movies with my... Uh, father-in-law Ken Deanna's dad and uh, we sit there and watch war movies and she walks around the house grumbling that we're watching war movies and uh, anyway there's this scene where they come and they started discovering toward the end of the war these concentration camps and you've probably all seen versions of this and stuff and, and the liberators come in and uh, it's not like these people in these camps go woohoo this is great and they start running for the door to run away and get out you know this isn't like you know, Brown County lockup, you know. They throw you in for a little while. Someone posts bail. Okay, you can go, all right, I'm out of here. No, 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 no. These are people They have been so oppressed for so long that when they told them they could go free, they they just kind of stared at them. And and they didn't know what was going on. It's really heartbreaking when you see some of these stories and they reenact these things on films. But uh, these are, man, I'm telling you, when you have the life just beat out of you and oppressed. And and, and what they did to these people is beyond comprehension. But, you know, it's kind of like the children of Israel. Remember, they were slaves for 450 years. God sends them with Moses into the wilderness. And what do they do? They whine the entire time. I want to go back to Egypt. I liked it there. i like, what do you mean you liked it there? You're crying out to God for hundreds of years because of being a slave. I know, but it was familiar. And the same thing happens in people's lives. And one of our great challenges as Christians, and as a pastor and stuff, is to encourage people that come to faith, you don't have to live this way anymore. That's the good news. The thing is, it takes a while for some people to get it. And if you're one of, in that category where you keep stumbling and keep doing the same crazy things all over and again, maybe it's with alcohol, drugs, who knows, whatever, sins that you keep stumbling in. Uh, number one, the good news is there's always grace and forgiveness. That's why we celebrate on Sunday morning forgiveness. We'll be praying as we take communion. Lord, forgive me, help me, you know, clear things up in my life. But it takes a while for some people. And our job is to encourage these people and to proclaim release to the captives. We don't have to be this way. I get people on, and here's the thing, the devil will convince you, you have to be this way. I can't help it. I can't help it. No, you can't. You really can. It's hard though, It's hard to shake it, but our job is to bring people along in faith and encourage them. They can be free. Oh, it's so great to not have to go around and do the same destructive things over and over and over again. Somebody say amen. Amen. All right. So we got that. Then uh, he says, recovery of sight to the blind. It came to open people's eyes. And if there's one thing about coming to know Jesus, and for many of you, you'll, you'll Remember when you first experienced this, especially if you were really rotten, like I was, (laughs) some people, they're pretty nice people and they don't have quite as dramatic conversions. You know, John Wesley, who was one of the greatest preachers in Christian history and uh, started the Methodist church. Anyways, you ever get a chance to study on him. It's really rather fascinating. Uh, This guy, he was a pretty good guy. He was a missionary. He preached. He went to seminary, he could speak Greek and Latin and English and all and all that before he got saved. <laughs> before, I mean, he he was so religious, he was a pretty good guy. And when he finally realized that it's by faith and grace that I'm saved, he describes his conversion as I felt my heart strangely warmed. I'm thinking, really, I get that when I eat too late. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but, but that's it. And it's so trans... but So it wasn't really all that dramatic because he was a pretty good guy in the first place. Then you got people who do all kinds of really nasty things. I will not list for you. And then the, the conversion was a little bit more stark, you know. That was my case, I'm telling you. When I became a Christian, it was like, wow, this is rather dramatic. And one of the first things I remember, I just felt like I could see clearer. It's kind of like just a gray haze over me, which probably has something to do with the things I was smoking at the time. But... Uh, <laughs> But, but uh, you know, and all of a sudden, you could just see. <laughs> Doc, that's why I can't do the gas, you know. <laughs> I was just in his office the other day, and he's getting ready to torture me. And uh, he says, you want gases? I said, no, man, that reminds me of LSD. I can't do it. So he, he shot me up, which, which was pretty funny. He, uh, I don't know what he was doing, but he's holding my lip. You know, like this. Okay? And he must have been waiting for the girl to do so. I thought he's giving me the shot. And, and I said, That's the most painless shot I've ever had. I haven't given it to you yet. Well, what are you doing? Hang so, so, anyway, <laughs> uh, what am I talking about? How do you know what I'm talking about? What was I just talking about? a oh, blind. You can see. I remember dramatically, it just—it was clearer, and life seemed clearer. And literally, I remember just walking down the street going, there's trees on the street. <laughs> Again, because I wasn't smoking something. But, uh, um, but there's something that happens when all of a sudden life becomes clearer. And Jesus wants to do that so you can experience the fullness of life. Instead of being very myopic where you can't see anything, all of a sudden you start seeing the possibilities. That's what faith is all about. Because with God, all things are possible. And he proclaims that. And then he says to let the oppressed go free. Oppressed is kind of an interesting You're not necessarily a prisoner, but you're just constantly knocked down. You ever lived like that? Some of you were raised in homes like that. No matter what you did, you were always bad. You're never good enough. You're a failure. you just like your father. What's wrong with you? you? know, whatever else that you've heard all your life. And the good news is Jesus has come to take those oppressed. You don't have to be oppressed anymore. You don't have to be pushed down anymore. So anyway, Jesus reads this. And, uh, and then verse 20, he rolls up the scroll and he gives it back to the attendant and he sat down. Well, the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And then he began to say, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing." Now, that's not as dramatic to us, but to these people, this is extremely dramatic. They have heard this prophecy of the Messiah coming all their lives, and they were very devout people. Uh, They were so devout, they were like the first version of John Wesley, never really got faith. Uh, and, And when he says, you just heard me fulfill this, he's basically saying, this was talking about me. And they are shocked. And they all spoke well of him and were amazed at his gracious words that came out of his mouth. It's really not that much of a compliment. They're kind of really saying, how did he learn to talk so good? Because he hasn't been to school. He hasn't done any of these things that all the rabbis have done. And then I said, like, well, isn't this Joseph's son? We know this guy. He lives down on the corner of 23rd and 1st, you know, whatever. Uh, and, and they were having problems with it. And then Jesus says in verse 24, Truly, I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. In other words, when you're the local boy, people don't take you seriously. And, uh, and that's uh, while all of Israel is flocking to Jesus for these miracles, his hometown kind of sneered at him. Uh, the local guy is always uh, the guy. Uh, I, have, uh, I have some musician friends and you know, we joke back and forth to each other. And one of the recurring jokes is, so are you a professional or are you local? You know, even though you're still a professional, as soon as you're local, you're not professional anymore. I remember when I first started traveling, speaking. Because, you know, you're a little insecure when you're first doing these things. And I'll never forget, the further I traveled, the more of an expert I was. It was amazing. I mean, the further away you go. And the truth is, there's not a lot of really close cities around us that have ever had me come speak. Like in Chicago, I've never been to Chicago. I mean, I went to Chicago for a bunch of heathens to spoke there. But, uh, but churches, because obviously in Chicago, nobody has marriage problems, right? But the problem is, is I'm a Packers fan and I'm a local guy, you know, and they just can't handle it. So, but the further away you get, oh my, and when you go overseas, that's fun, I'm like a rock star walking around and, aren't you, Mark? Well, yes, actually I am, thank you very much. You know, I don't get a lot of that in Green Bay, but that's okay. I know there's something about it when you're away and Jesus said, you know, when you're the local guy, they don't take too much take you too seriously. But anyway, so they're they're kind of whining and they're going, "I know this guy. What's what's he saying? That's outrageous!" And then Jesus says, "This. The truth is, there were many widows in Israel in the time of Elijah. Elijah was this big prophet. He says when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, there was this massive famine, severe famine all over the, all over the land. Yet Elijah was sent to none of those widows." except to a widow in Zarephath in Sidon. Uh, So he's really kind of sticking it to him because one of the things about this culture at this time, they were so, I mean, they're children of Israel, right? Father Abraham. They're literally the children of Abraham in a physical sense. And they became arrogant about it. And they thought, well, I'm okay because, you know, I was born a Jew. There's versions of this in Christianity. You know, I'm okay. I was born a Catholic, you know. Okay. I was born a Baptist, you know. I went church all my... I mean, they still live like hell and they have never done anything about it, really don't have any faith, but they think they're okay because of their spiritual heritage. Well, the Jewish people had this in spades. I mean, you, if you've ever seen a version of that, this is like off the charts at this point in Israel. They are so comfortable in just the fact of their heritage, even though they really weren't walking in faith. And Jesus said, you know, when Elijah had this big famine and stuff like that, God sent him to, to a widow. There were lots of widows in Israel at that time. But he didn't send him, he sent him to this widow who was a pagan. And that was, that's really insulting to them. Let's read this story I want, real quickly in 1 Kings the 17th chapter about this widow. Uh, it says, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah saying, go to Zarephath which belongs to Sidon. Go live over there. For I've commanded a widow there to feed you. So he set out and went to Zarephath, and when we came to the gate of the town. There's this widow. She's gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, hey, bring me some water in a vessel that I can have a drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called out to her and, and, and you know, bring me a sandwich. <laughs> okay? And and she said, well, as, as the Lord, your God, lives, I, I've, I have nothing baked and, only a handful of meal in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And I'm now gathering a couple of sticks so that I may go home and prepare for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. This is a horrible famine. People are starving to death. This lady says, I got enough for one last meal. And that's why I'm picking up the sticks and we're going to cook it. And and then we're going to die. I mean, when that's really your thinking, things are dire. Okay. This is really, really bad. And, uh, And it's kind of interesting because the Lord said, I commanded a widow there to feed you. Obviously, the widow doesn't know anything about it. (laughs) He commanded in the sense that this is going to happen, okay? So Elijah says, don't be afraid. Go and do as you said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterwards, make something for yourself and your son. Here's the idea of putting first the kingdom of God, even when you have needs sometimes. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the jar of meal will not be emptied and the jug of oil will not fail until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So this is what happens. And it's quite an interesting, it's, it's actually a great analogy. She makes the meal and the oil and figures, well, that's pretty much, and she gave some to the prophet and then they had their last meal. And the next day she goes and, and oh, well, there's, there's a little bit more in there. So, so she makes um, another, and they get the next meal. So, well, this has got to be it, right? She goes back the next day, and I thought I emptied this. There's this more in there, and this keeps going every day, every day, and they have more than enough. You know, if I'm in the situation, and God is going to take care of me for a long time, I want it in big barrels. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I want like a Costco kind of thing happening. Where, where, there's, where there's just pallets of, of stuff. Then I'm feeling better. But every time I eat my last, I'm thinking, I'm going to die. This is a little creepy. But then the next day, oh, there's more. You know, this is why we pray. Give us this day our daily bread, right? And, and, and this is true for so many people. How many times have you felt, this is it? It's over. I'm done. I don't know how we're going to survive. And the next day, somehow, oh, I'm still here. And, and you get through that day. And then you think, I don't know how I'll go on any further. And then the next day, you look and, and you can go on further. Uh, those people get so depressed, they take their own lives because they think this is the last they'll ever have and there's no more. And I'm telling you, if you trust God, it never empties out. There'll always be more the next day. <laughs> Actually, I would like to get paid in advance for like 10 years at a time. I would feel very comfortable in that situation, right? There's a big poof. And, uh, but it's day by day by day. Uh, and then he does the same thing with another analogy. Um, talking about there are there also many lepers in Israel at the time of the prophet Elijah and none of them were cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Again, another non-Jew. And we won't get into that story. But uh, uh, he's basically telling them, uh, you know, just because you're Jewish, just because you were born a Baptist or a or you know, Catholic, whatever. You know. Yeah, that's not enough. You need to be right with God. You need to have this personal encounter with God in your life. And as irritating as that is to people today that hear this, um, you're saying, well, that wasn't enough. No, it's not. Well, I was baptized, you know. Yeah, well, you didn't even know what was going on, okay? Um, so when you start realizing, and some people get really mad about it, well, these guys were furious. They are you have no idea. How, let me show you how angry they are. Verse 28. When they heard this, all the synagogue was filled with rage. They were and to, From us, we think, really? You're mad about this? But we're not them. They're different people. This is a culture we can't even begin to understand. Jesus basically says, I am the Messiah. God has called me. They're in an attitude of, oh, well, we're Jews. And he's going, nobody cares. What? How are you saying that? How do you? Do? Ah, and they were in a rage. And they got up. They drove him out of the town. They led him to the brow of a hill on which their town was built so they might hurl him off the cliff. Now, I've had people mad when I've preached. I've never experienced this situation. I don't think we have much of a cliff in Green Bay, do we? <laughs> the edge of the curve, maybe, but... Uh, I mean, they were trying to kill him. That's how angry. And again, it's hard for us to relate to how shocking this is to them. But I love verse 30. I mean, they literally have drugged him. They're ready to throw him off, and there must have been some kind of Ooh, God" moment that kicks in. And he says, "But then Jesus just passed through the midst of him and went on. His way. He just walked right through the middle, and nobody could touch him." Ah, I mean, how cool is that, right? And that had to be so confusing. I thought we were going to kill him. We were. Why'd you let him walk through? Why'd you let him walk through? Nobody could grab him. You know what I'm saying? And it, it was amazing. And then Jesus goes on and continues to minister to people and do the very things he said he was called to do. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, anointed me to bring good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blinds, and let the oppressed go free. To which I think we can all say, thank God. Amen. And that's what we celebrate on this third Advent of East. Of Christmas. Easter, I was going to say. Christmas. So anyway, Advent time. Praise God. All right, let's turn to our time of communion this morning and invite uh, everybody to focus at home. You're going to have to go get in just a minute your stuff ready for uh, our time of communion. Those of you at our campuses on the way in, got these little packet things. Um, for those of you who are unfamiliar with what that is, uh, it, there's two layers. There's a real thin layer. Got to really work your fingernails there to get the bread, the little wafer, and then a second layer to get to the juice, which is will be our wine for today. And that's what we'll be using to take communion. But before we do this, I talked about this earlier. In the midst of a struggling, even sometimes those of us who are captive and seems like in the midst of being captives, we keep falling back into the same captivity. And just be patient. Hang in there, God. God is not shocked that you are struggling. And he's very, very patient. I know sometimes we get discouraged. Oh, I shouldn't keep doing this thing. I I keep struggling with this thing. Pastor, God has to be really angry at me because I keep... No, he's not. That's the beautiful thing about reading the Bible. God is extraordinarily patient. I mean, there's a a limit at some point. But I mean, he... Read 1 Kings, the, the book of Kings in the Old Testament it starts out God warning them that he's going to destroy them if they don't stop it. And they do it. One king after another king after another king. And it's a long book. And I'm reading it halfway through thinking, kill them already. What's taking so long? You know, because if it were me and we can all be thankful, I am not God. I would have killed a whole lot of them early on. But it really shows you God's patience. He just kept warning them. You need to stop it. Now, eventually, the hammer came down. And the whole nation was washed away into Babylonian captivity. It's really rather stunning. And it really had an impact on them. Uh, Those of you who are Bible students, and you really get into the details, uh, Israel was always struggling with falling into idolatry. After the Babylonian captivity, and they came back, they never had a problem with it again. Sometimes a good old butt whooping will straighten you right out. You know what I'm saying? Uh, But God is extraordinarily patient. Does he want you to sin? Of course not. But if you sin, we have grace and forgiveness in Jesus. It's kind of like, especially if you're young in your faith. And some of you, I know you've been struggling for a long time, but it's like when babies are first learning to walk. Most of it is just falling, right? And, uh, you know, you have all these cool furniture, you know, these glass things and stuff. till you have babies, then you got to baby-proof everything because they're falling all over the place. And, and you can't just leave... Uh, sockets, open electrical sockets, because they'll find little things to stick in there. I wonder what happens. (laughs) I mean, they're always doing something, right? And they're making mistakes. We all made so many mistakes. Most of our learning experience for walking was pretty much a PhD in falling. But eventually, eventually, you catch it and you start to get it. Just like a parent is patient. You know, it's like you fall three times and your dad says, all right, send him back. I don't know, just something wrong with this one. Stupid kid fell three times. He's not getting this. God is like our heavenly father and he's very patient. But we need to admit when we're wrong and make mistakes and we're going to pray a prayer together. The Bible tells us before we take communion to examine ourselves and that's what we're going to do. Let's all bow our heads uh, in a word of prayer Let me just pray a a general prayer of forgiveness over all of us. Heavenly Father, before we partake of the bread and the cup this morning and in obedience to the scriptures, we pause to examine ourselves. If we've sinned against you in any way, something we've done, something that we should have done that we didn't do, something we said we shouldn't have said, we ask you that you would forgive us for the sake of your son Jesus, who gave himself as a sacrifice for our, our sins. Have mercy on us. And cleanse us and forgive us of all of our sins. Strengthen us in your goodness. By the power of your Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life. That we can delight in you and walk in your ways. Walk in the freedom that we read about this morning. And as we're still in attitude of prayer, people have their heads bowed. If you can think of something that maybe you've really been struggling with this week, just ask God. Say, Lord, forgive me. Help me to get this right. Give me the strength. And... uh, Set me back up and help me to start experiencing the freedom I know I should be walking in. And maybe you're visiting this first time today or listening to me the first time over the internet and you've never done this. Right now, just ask Jesus Christ to come into your heart and your life. Just say, forgive me, Jesus, of my sins and come into my life. And you can start experiencing the kind of faith that we're talking about this morning that will transform and energize your life. Amen.